Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the, the books of the Bible, and tonight's lesson on, is on the book of Second Peter. Um, his second letter is addressed to the same network of churches that were it was sent to in the, in the first letter. You know, as it moved through, you know, Asia Minor, Greece, and Rome to all this network of churches, you know, and uh, it's believed that it was written from the same location that that Peter was in Rome. Um, we believe that Peter was fully aware that he was coming to the end of his own life and he he was going to be dying soon. That you know he'd uh, been in Rome and and knew that you know what Jesus had spoken over to him back when he was still in Jerusalem that he was going to have a an end very similar to Jesus's. But at this point in his life, he was fully aware and fully ready to accept what was to come. You know, that Peter was excited, you know, by these Roman authorities. You know, that, you know, he lived in this time when the emperor of Rome at that time was Nero. You know, and some say, you know, as you you use the, the Roman numerals or Greek alphabet, actually, that... uh you know, that when we say that 666 is a mark of the beast, you know, in the Greek it's translated as 616, which is the, the you know, the his letters in the Greek alphabet spell out his name. So they believe that that, you know, is that Antichrist spirit was on him because he was killing Christians, he was throwing them to the lions, he was setting them on fire, and he was doing it for sport. You know, it was a game back in the times of the gladiators and, and the Roman Colosseums. You know, so Peter knew that he was going to, to come to the end of his life. You know, this letter acts as Peter's farewell speech. You know, he begins by offering this final challenge to us as Christ followers, you know, to never stop growing. You know, and I believe that this is a challenge to each and every one of us. I believe that it's still a challenge to the church. You know, that we, you know, come out of sin and we come to the understanding that we know Jesus now and we're saved. And, uh, I think far too often we just, you know, plop our holy behinds in the pews and we sit there and we just, you know, attend church. But I, I believe that, that Jesus wants us to continue to grow in our relationship, to, to grow into who we've been called to become, to grow into the men and women that He's you know, calling us forth to become, you know, and I think that it's it's a constant challenge. It's way easier to sit down and just kind of be entertained or sit down and just go to church once a week. It's way harder to to be in the gym on a on a daily basis, you know, and you know it's that daily discipline, you know, whether we're disciplining our bodies or disciplining our spirits, disciplining our minds, you know, it's. <clears throat> It's it's difficult, you know. I know that there's times that I'm, you know, I'm studying or I'm reading or I'm working through something, and I get mentally exhausted, you know, and I just want to take a nap, like I'm tired, you know. And I think that it it works, you know, in many different ways as we're trying to study and grow, you know. It it, it wears us out, you know. I think that you know we can wear ourselves out as we, <clears throat> you know, use energy. You know, it wears ourselves out as we're 
processing emotion and working through our junk, you know, it tires us out. You know, but I think that as we keep pressing through, keep grinding, keep, you know, growing, you know, that we're, we're turning into the men and women that, you know, Jesus is calling us to become. You know, that Peter <clears throat> gives us two final warnings. You know, that the, that there's a corrupt leader. There's, you know, false leaders in the church. You know, these, and they're leading Christians astray. You know, these church committees, uh, committees, you know, or communities, sorry, you know, that we're promoting a corrupt lifestyle. You know, we see that in the church today. You know, there's, you know, different types of Christianity, you know, that the prosperity gospel is taken off, you know, and, you know, we see, you know, the damage that that can cause, that, you know, the live by faith and name it and claim it, you know, and then there's, new agey things that move in and then there's super spiritual holy spirit stuff that moves in you know and if you really look biblically you know none of these things are new it's the same stuff that's been going on for 2000 years it just looks different you know what i mean and it, it's interesting that these same warnings that are in biblical text are the same things that we need to take heed to today and pay attention that when you know we're sitting under the you know a pastor sitting under a preacher sitting in a church that if we don't know our word that we can be easily led astray you know and it's very important for us to spend time in the word so if, you know i say something or the pastor you know or the church that we're going to says something and we're like wait a minute that doesn't doesn't make sense to me or that doesn't align with the word and you know i'll never be perfect you know and you know, I'll say things that may be off and, and may be incorrect because I'm still learning and growing, but that doesn't make excuses for it. You know, and if there's ever anything I say, you know, and you're questioning it, please come to me and say, hey, what did you mean by that? And, you know, we can sit down and, and look in the Bible and and uh, see what God has to say. You know, but a lot of times these leaders, you know, are stuck in their ways and and they're using that to corrupt the ways of other people, you know, and distort theology. And because people are unaware, you know, are not spending time on their word, it's easy for them to be, you know, led astray as well. You know, Peter is going through countless accusations made by these teachers, made by different people that are, are accusing him and the other apostles. Because, you know, Peter's goal is to restore confidence in the order of church community. You know, Peter is also reminding these churches that through Jesus, God has invited us to have this participation in his own divine nature. You know, that we are to share in God's own eternal life and love, which requires this lifelong response. To receive this gift means that we are committed to developing the same character and traits that mark God's own divine nature that we see in, in Jesus. You know, Peter lists seven of these traits that mold us into Christ's image. You know, goodness, knowledge, endurance, family affection, godliness. And the seventh one encompasses them all, you know, which is love. You know, and in through love, everything, you know, is, <clears throat> you know, seen. You know, we see these same types of things in the fruits of the Spirit. You know, but it's through love, according to what Jesus is telling us, it's, Devoting oneself to the well-being of others. However, that does not that matter in their response or cause. You know, that we are to love people. 
It doesn't mean that they're going to love us back. It means that we're to love people. It doesn't mean that they're going to change. You know, we're to love people. You know, it doesn't mean that we're to be abused by them. So, that, you know, to love people sometimes is to set boundaries. You know, and uh, I believe that Peter's trying to set a boundary with these false teachers and, and the people that are trying to corrupt God's community, that he's trying to, to set things straight and speak to those that are willing to listen, you know, so that they can move forward and, and follow Jesus correctly. You know, Peter declares this purpose, you know, as he memorializes his teachings that he has learned from Jesus. You know, that that these are, have been passed on by him, by Jesus, to Peter and the apostles for later generations. You know, because he's not going to be around much longer, so this is his farewell message. You know, <clears throat> so before he dies, he wants to address the objections you know, and these accusations, you know, that being made, these accusations being made by false teachers who want to distort Jesus and his teachings and the teachings of the apostles. So Peter is addressing these accusations repeated by these skeptics, you know, these present and future, that basically that he, you know, is an apostle, you know, just, you know, the the, the apostles just didn't make up that Jesus is going, was risen from the dead and he's the king of the world. You know, that Jesus is not really going to come back one day. You know, and that's what these guys were, were speaking so that, you know, you just do what you want in the moment. You know, so, you know, it, it's Peter is trying to, to offer his eyewitness testimony of the powerful moment that Jesus transformed him. You know, and he begins to talk about the transfiguration on the mountain that, you know, Peter had witnessed. You know, these apostles saw Jesus exalted as king, you know, and through his resurrection that he is still alive today. You know, and that he's the king that's going to restore the world. You know, and one day, you know, there, there will be a future return of King Jesus to bring forth God's kingdom, and it will fill what all Scripture has been pointing to all along. You know, the word of his Old Testament prophets did not fabricate, you know, fantasies about God. Rather, that through the Holy Spirit, their words pointed to Jesus, and through Jesus, God himself has been speaking to us. Peter moves on, you know, to come against these corrupt leaders and the threats of these corrupt leaders in the church, you know, as he focuses on their objections, that they're rising, you know, that these first teachers deny the idea that there's going to be a final reckoning. You know, that when God will hold all of his people accountable for their choices. And this denial, you know, conveniently allows these teachers to ignore Jesus' teachings on money and sex. Because they're making a profit off of the people in these churches and they're sleeping around with a lot of the women that are in a variety of these different churches and using them and manipulating them. Peter reminds these leaders that God can and will meet their rebellion with his justice. Peter recalls ancient examples of how God has brought his punishment for sin. He first tells the story of the sons of God in Genesis 6, as it was interpreted in popular Jewish work, of the time called First Enoch. First Enoch 
says the sons of God are rebellious angels and they crossed, you know, this life and had sex with human women, earning God's judgment. You know, Peter then brings up the story of the ancient flood and that the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah in each case, their rebellion had brought on divine judgment. But Peter says that God was always faithful. <clears throat> God was always faithful to deliver his people and uses this story of Lot to provide an example. That his, he's connecting these stories from scripture to these false teachers' ways of life. You know, that we are to prove their true desire is only money and sex. That they're not helping, you know, and not pointing people to having a relationship with Jesus. They despise God's authority, and they lead other people to rebel, and they teach people that God doesn't care about their moral decisions of today, because they teach a message of Christian freedom, and use it as a license to sin, and to do whatever they want. You know, that we we see... You know, these types of teachings in the Gnostic Gospels, which would be the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, that there's a different type of Jesus. There's a different type of grace. You know, that we have a license to do whatever we want to do. Oh, God will forgive me. You know, and unfortunately, most of us, if not all of us in here, have thrown that excuse out at least once or twice in our life. You know, and uh, it justifies us to do what we want to do in the moment. And we're like, oh, God will just forgive us. You know, and I think, you know, in reality that, you know, at some point we get checked with that and we're like, wait a minute, sorry, God, didn't really mean it, you know, and, you know, and things begin to shift and change. But when you're living that way as a lifestyle, it basically means you can do whatever you want that, oh, Jesus died. That was cool. I got grace. That means I can do whatever I want now. You know, it's a different type of mindset. It's a different type of lifestyle, you know, and. You know, that teachings about money, you know, can get skewed, you know, and, and they manipulate and they, you know, it's funny that the the prosperity gospel teachers are living, you know, living large. You know, they're, they have lots of money. You know, that, that gospel is, is putting a lot of money in their pocket, but a lot of the people that are in those churches aren't wealthy. So how come that, that you know, that gospel is not equal for everybody, you know, and they manipulate people out of their money and they, they sell a false gospel to people and a false hope. You know, and unfortunately, you know, that men and women in power have used God to manipulate people in relationships and adultery and immorality. You know, and there's always, a, you know, another leader that's, you know, fallen, you know, here and there through the times. I mean, since I've been saved, there's been several you know, big name TV preachers that have fallen into, you know, some sort of adultery or immorality. And, you know, there's big churches out West and, and that fell into some things and a lot of immorality and addiction and homosexuality were exposed in, in church, you know, and it's, you know, it brings a stain against us, you know, and, because, you know, we all have those excuses of why Christianity is, is not real or the church is not a good place or, you know, Christians are, you know, this way or that way. And on some level that, you know, people are, you know, just shooting the truth at us, you know. And But what I've learned as I work through it for myself is that 
people don't represent Jesus. You know, that into the best of our ability, I will fall short. You know, and on my best day, I do a horrible job at representing exactly who Jesus is. You know, and when I looked past the church and when I looked past Christians and I looked to try to figure out who Jesus was, I found something so pure and so true and so full of love, you know, and so full of truth that it, it's changed me forever. You know, and I had to process and, and you know, and deal with my judgments and deal with, you know, the hypocrisy of of certain things in Christianity and come to realize that in all honesty, I'm the biggest hypocrite I know, you know, and I can point fingers at other people, but I don't even live up to the standard that I, I would want myself to live to. And I make excuses of why I can do certain things on different days, you know, and I'm just being real, you know, and it's important for each one of us to, to come to terms with our own hypocrisy and lay that stuff down before Jesus and say, I want to be the best man or woman that I can be, you know, and I'm trying to live up to the standard of Christianity. No, I'm trying to live up to the standard of Christ, you know, and I'm not trying to be, you know, just involved in church. I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is, you know, and I can't go by what other people tell me who Jesus is. I can't go by even what, you know, the pastors in this area, you can't even go by what I'm saying technically. You need to, to figure it out for yourself, get into your word, spend time, pray, study, look through it, make your own opinion of it, you know, process it, pray through it, you know, have discussions. And then, you know, you come back to, you know, a church and you listen to the pastor and you're like, you know what, this guy's making sense. You know, this, you know, person's make this person's not making sense. You know, I don't like what this guy has to say. I like what this guy has to say, you know, or, and so on and so forth, because you have a relationship with Jesus and you have, you know, spent time in your word, you know, and, it, and it's through that that we begin to, to grow. We begin to take on the challenge that Peter is, is putting on us that says, you know, don't stop growing, you know, don't stop trying to pursue Jesus. Don't stop, you know, seeking truth. Don't let the culture, don't let false teachers don't let your flesh, you know, corrupt you and lead you astray. You know, that, you know, we do not have a license to sin. You know, that we're all going to make mistakes, you know, and, and that's reality. You know, and there's this balance between I'm a wretched sinner and I am loved and saved by grace. You know, and it's through that, you know, that grace that pulls me deeper into this relationship with Jesus. And the more that I focus on him and him alone, the things that I've tried so hard to resist all of a sudden begin to melt away. You know, how often have we tried to white knuckle and resist some area of our life and we've had very little or no success at all. And the more that we focus on Jesus, it's like before we know it, the thing kind of drifted away and we're like, wow, it's been, you know, weeks since I thought about that. You know, where before it was a prominent thought and a prominent, you know, area that we struggled with. You know, that Peter continues to, to teach them, you know, in chapter three, you know, he, you know, he's talking to these false teachers, you know, and, you know, that they've distorted Paul's teachers or Paul's teachings about liberation in Christ. But that's not the kind of freedom that Paul is describing. Peter is making it clear that these false teachers are not really free. 
that they are enslaved, that they're, you know, slaves to their own bodily impulses, you know, impulsions and, and sins, that the fact that they are claiming to be Christians and, and you know, make it even more tragic because they are claiming to know Jesus but denying them by their lifestyle. You know, and, you know, I've struggled through the years, you know, especially when I was young, that people that represented Jesus didn't live that way. You know, and, you know, I remember, you know, coming to church, you know, and trying to figure out this Jesus stuff and thinking it's all about the rules, you know, and, you know, I'm not letting the, you know, those Christians control me, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out Jesus, but it, I'm trying to get Jesus to do what I want him to do, you know, and it worked for a minute, you know, and, you know, I, I fell back into my addiction because I was just trying to use Jesus to get sober. I wasn't really trying to build a relationship with Jesus, you know, and when I came back around, you know, I was tired. I was tired of, of you know, the pain in my life, and I was, I was a little bit more willing a little bit more humbled and said, you know what, I'm going to spend some time trying to figure this stuff out. You know, and the more that I, I tried to figure out Jesus, the more time that I spent in prayer, the more time that I spent reading, not just by the Bible, but other Christian material, the more that I had conversations with some of the pastors and some of the Christians that were in my life. And, you know, and it confronted the way that I thought about things and I had to make some choices. You know, and I really struggled with some of the areas in the Bible. And, you know, a very powerful, you know, statement that was made to me in the beginning is like, the Bible is not multiple choice, Tom. You don't get to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. You either take it all or leave it all. It's your choice, you know. And, of course, that pissed me off because I wanted to do it my way, you know. I want to have a, an, a, an opinion, you know, and... What I've come to learn is that God doesn't care what I think. You know, he doesn't care about my opinion. He wants my mind to be renewed according to the word of God. He wants my my life to model and represent, you know, who Jesus really is. You know, and that's the type of liberation, that's the type of freedom that Paul is talking about, that we are controlled by, you know, the Holy Spirit in our life. We're not controlled by our flesh. You know, and we have to constantly lay that stuff down and deny, you know, our own selfish desires, our own fleshly desires, our own personal desires. And we have to bring those to the lens of what scripture is telling us is, is, is right and what is wrong or what is true and what is false. You know, and we have to renew our minds, you know, is it daily? No, we have to renew our minds with each and every thought. We got to bring those thoughts back to the obedience of Christ over and over and over and over again. And eventually, you know, certain thinking patterns begin to be stripped away. They begin to melt away and, you know, and other new truthful thinking patterns begin to take root. And we see how it begins to to change the course of our lives. You know, and this is the liberation that Paul was talking about. And this is the liberation that that Peter is trying to make it clear that the false teachers are are truly trying to distort, you know, that. We can't say that we know Jesus and deny him by the way that we live. You know, you know, this in a sense, you know, makes us accountable, you know, that someday that we will stand before him, you know, and, you know, and it says that we're going to be accountable for every word we speak, which means I'm in serious trouble. (laughs) 
I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? Like, every word, Jesus? Every word, Tom. Like, oh, boy. Guess we got some work to do. You know, not only my actions, you know, my thoughts, my heart, the stuff that I do, every word I speak. You know, and, and we'll be, like, calling on some Jesus grace in that moment. But, you know, I think that it's important that we realize that that one day we're going to be face-to-face with them. You know, and that's overwhelming, to be honest with you. You know, I think that sometimes we don't really think about it. I don't think about it a lot, but I think that there's times when I really, like, one day we're going to be with them. You know, and, you know, one day we're going to meet the king. You know, there's a worship song that says it over and over and over again, and and by the end of that song, I'm always crying. Because one day we're going to be sitting there right with them, and, to me, that it's amazing and scary all in the same, you know, and, you know, I think that it, that's the, you know, the goal, right? You know, is it the goal to be a Christian, the goal that, to, to walk around, you know, fighting injustices, to, to make claims that, you know, you know, that we're in the world but not of it, you know, or is the, the goal to be Christ-like and to go and hang out with them? <clears throat> you know, I think that, I have really no concept of what eternity with God is going to look like. I don't think that my mind can really wrap around the concept. I also don't think that I can really wrap my mind around the, the sense of eternity in hell either. I think that it's it's too big, you know. That, but I do believe that, <clears throat> you know, as I build a relationship with Jesus, and I I do, you know, find myself, you know, in His presence from time to time as I worship and as I pray and as I read the Word. And, and if that's just a piece of what's to come, I would much rather have more time with Jesus than the alternative. You know, and you know, I think that he he does bring his kingdom to earth time and time again, more than we realize. You know, that and you know, we live here on earth as it is in heaven, you know, and we do our best, you know, and we lay it down and we we repent and we build relationships and we, we grow and we, we try to change. <clears throat> You know, and I think that it's important, you know, that we are trying. You know, I think that on some senses we make excuses. And we know when we're making excuses. And a lot of times the people around us can instantly tell when we're making excuses. You know, doing the best I can. You're like, really? I've seen you try way harder trying to sin. You know, and it's like, you know, I am really good at sinning, but following Jesus, I have very little effort. You know, it's like, you know, I know that I can put more effort into this. You know, and that was a statement, you know, a decision that I made, you know, and I wasn't even sober yet. You know, I was still high. I've been up for days, you know, and I'm having an argument with myself. You know, sober Tom is arguing with addicted Tom, and, you know, in the midst of that argument, something happened, and it says, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes. You know, and <clears throat> through that, a statement, you know, came, you know, out of that, and you know, it's really a question is, do you ever try to sin? Do you ever try to get hot? Do you ever try to drink? Do you ever try to lust? Do you ever try? No, we succeed. Why? We're real good at it. We want it. You know, I don't know how to tell myself no. You know, and, you know, I, I know how to you know, get what I want, but I have to change what I want, and when I change what I want, I'll do whatever it takes to get it, you know, 
and you know there's a line in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about you know God could and would if he were sought deliver you from the state of hopeless mind and body you know and I remember being very hopeless you know and I remember thinking about that statement and you know sought isn't really a word that we use today but you know I understand what it means to to run these streets looking for what I want you know and basically it that's what that word means is I'm going to seek God until I find hope. You know, I've sought these streets till I found dope. You know, I've sought these streets till I found what I wanted. You know, and I have to seek God until I find hope in him. You know, and it's, you know, it's not what I think it is. You know, it's not give me what I want and then I'll serve you. It's not, you know, if I get what I want, then I'll be happy. You know, I have a track record of my entire life that I get what I want and I'm still not happy. But all of a sudden as I start seeking God and I and I grow and I get a little bit more of him, all of a sudden peace begins to come, hope begins to come, love begins to come, joy, you know, grace comes. All these things start to come that I can only find in him and him alone. You know, and you know, Peter makes these statements, you know, that he uses these ancient proverbs you know, that it, you know, that we continue to sin like a dog returning to his vomit, you know, or, or a washed pig returning to the mud, you know, and, you know, we, we hear it and we know what it means, but there's a deeper principle going on in, in these statements, you know, that, you know, we're to, called to be sheep, right? You know, we're, he, Jesus is our good shepherd. You know that sheep hate to be dirty, that they will literally do whatever it takes to, to walk around mud and to not get dirty. Now, obviously, they're going to get dirty because they're, they're living in, a, you know, a meadow, but they literally will do whatever it takes to not get dirty. Where a pig, you know, whether you clean it off or not, it runs right back into the mud. You know, a dog returns to its vomit. Why? Because it still sm- smells like food. But it's bile, and it's vile. You know, it, you know that the stomach acids have taken away anything that was nutritious. But because it still smells like food, the dog consumes it once again. How many times have we returned back to something that's a counterfeit and thinking that it's going to satisfy us, and we're left in despair time and time again? You know, these principles are true. You know. You know, how many times do we get sober? How many times do we get free? And then we find ourselves right back into the mud again. You know, we find ourselves looking to, to something that isn't what it is. You know, it seems like I'm going to find pleasure or enjoyment, but then I'm left with nothing but shame and condemnation. You know, Peter is addressing these because there's false teaching. You know, the denial of this final reckoning that there's a consequence to sin. You know, and he's he's telling us that there's generations of God's people that keep coming and passing away. You know, that these false teachers are saying, like, there's no judgment. You know, so many people have come, lived, and died, and Jesus didn't punish them. You know, but our punishment necessarily isn't in this life. You know, it, it's eternal. You know, that every knee shall bow in this life or the next. You know, that... Some of us, you know, may run and gun, and, and we're not going to run into them until, you know, we, we fall asleep once and for all. You know, sometimes there's punishment and sin in this life. 
You know, I know that there's times of my sin that I've gotten punished. I don't know about you. You know, that I've gotten spanked by God. You know, and be like, ouch, this hurts. Well, stop doing it. Well, I, I like it. And then I get more punishment. And I get mad because I just want God to let me do what I want to do, right? God, why are you taking my fun away? You know, and, you know, we get frustrated and we get mad at God because I just want to do what I want to do. You know, so in reality, I'm still my own God. You know, I get to run the show. But yet, in, when we really look at it with a perspective, when I'm doing what I want to do, I'm not only hurting myself, but I'm hurting the loved ones around me. You know, I cannot sin and not affect the people that are closest to me. You know, and even when I think that it's not hurting anyone else, it's only maybe potentially just hurting me, that other people... You know, are upset and, and hurt and betrayed and, you know, and I've taken advantage and I've lied and I've stolen, you know, and, and there's no way to sin and have people not being, you know, be put into the, you know, proximity of my sin and not get hurt by it. You know, that we look at sin in a very short-sighted, you know, <clears throat> you know, manner that we, we think it's just right now or just this moment. But yet, you know, if we really get into certain sins, it affects not only us, it could affect our children, it could affect generations. It depends on what it is. You know, as, as David sinned, you know, and he committed adultery and murder, you know, and, and God dealt with him. You know, Nathan said that God forgives your sin, but the consequence of the sin is going to go on through the generation. You know, and we see how, you know, David's immorality, David's, you know, sexual desires, you know, moved through his kids, <clears throat> you know, and, you know, and it affected his kingdom. It affected, you know, each one of his children, you know, and I think that, you know, we have to realize that, you know, there wasn't Jesus in that day. And I think that that makes a big difference, you know, that I think that if we come to Jesus, that generational sins, generational dysfunction, even generational curses get broken because Jesus took the curse upon the cross. You know, and that things can be broken off if we lay down our lives and, you know, we pray and, you know, things begin to shift and things begin to change. You know, that there is always hope in Christ. You know, that it isn't that the, you know, the children pay for the, you know, the sins of the, the parents, you know, as we, you know, find in in the Old Testament, but even in the Old Testament, that's been dealt with. You know, as you know, it is written that they will no longer pay for you know the sons of their or the sins of their parents. You know, so that was God dealt with that even before Jesus came along. So it's important that we realize that Jesus wants to bring redemption. Jesus wants to bring healing. Jesus wants to bring change. You know, you know, and it's it's important that we bring ourselves and. And the more that we bring ourselves to Jesus, that our loved ones are influenced by our changed behavior, not just because we say that we belong to Jesus now. You know, <clears throat> you know that that God is moving in, in dramatic ways. You know, and He's bringing out of nothing. He's bringing things into order. Where there was once chaos, He will do things again that bring things into question. That why is God taking so long? You know, that sometimes we struggle with God's timing, don't we? 
you know, but Peter reminds us that, you know, time is a human concept, you know, and, you know, and this conception of time is really extremely limited, that these long expanses of time through which God works do not fit in the, the human reality or human framework of our mind because our lives are so short, you know, that, that God moves, you know, in these longer amounts of time that are actually signs of God's patience upon us. You know, I'm so grateful that I don't sin and I get instant judgment. <laughs> you know, that would be bad for each and every one of us. You know, however we might behave a little bit easier because we, we'd be realized that we're getting hit with lightning bolts. Like, you know, Jesus is up there ready to strike us. But that's not God's grace. It's not how God works. You know, I think that there are times that because of the things that we got ourselves into, you know, we find a reckoning that comes pretty quickly, you know, but usually God's, you know, grace is involved, you know, but I do believe that, you know, the times that I've gotten thrown in jail or or something painful has happened to me, it's God's way of protecting me from the future of what I would be potentially doing. You know, I, I believe that by getting arrested, you know, God saved me on some levels. You know, that it's sitting in a jail cell that made me realize that I don't want to live this way. You know, that, you know, thinking that people are just trying to take my fun away. In reality, you know, that that God was trying to, to get me to change from my sinful ways. You know, he gives us this chance to recognize our own selfishness and to humble ourselves and repent. You know, but we have to repent before God, you know, and what we get is his generous grace. You know, this brings us to this this story to a close, really, is the day of the Lord will come. You know, as we look through the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was when God came in and and really, you know, bring, bring judgment upon the land. You know, that one day God's judgment will come. And it's because of what Jesus has done for us that that, you know, passes us, that we're covered in the blood and we receive his grace. You know, Peter draws on this prophetic word through Isaiah 32 in Zephaniah 3, who describes the day of God's judgment as this consuming fire. You know, when I was, a, you know, first coming to the church, there was a, a guy who came from the West Coast, and, you know, he was talking about, you know, God's mountains, you know, and how we pray, and God can move mountains with our faith. But he was talking about the all-consuming fire, and I'll never forget his imagery, that he was talking about seeing a forest fire and how a fire would come down one side of the mountain real slow, and it would get into the valley, and when it would go up the other side of the mountain, that it would go so fast that it would pull full pine trees out of the ground and shoot them like rockets because the updraft of the consuming fire had so much force on it that it would literally uproot full-grown trees. You know, and I believe that that, to me, is the same. as When we get ourselves into God's presence, He uproots sin. He uproots, you know, strongholds. He uproots areas of trauma. He uproots areas of brokenness. He uproots areas in our minds that have been there since we were little kids. That when we get into His presence, that all-consuming fire begins to uproot things that... In, in all honesty, I've spent years in counseling that things didn't really move. You know, and as I stepped myself 
into God's house and I started to learn and I started to pray and I, I struggled with worship, but I began to worship and I put myself before him and I said, God, you got to heal me. You got to heal this area of my mind. You got to heal this area of my heart. You got to, you know, heal this trauma, you know, and each one of us has some of those areas and we get before God and no matter how long we've been following Jesus, whether we've been here for a minute or we've been here for years, that we got to get ourselves before him and we got to get ourselves in his presence. And the only way to do that is to surrender ourselves and say, God, I just need you. You know, when we pray and all of a sudden things get uprooted out of us in a moment in his presence, you know, things are, things can change, you know, and I, and find it, it's so important that we learn how to worship, you know, and I never in a million years thought that I would let alone sing this type of music, let alone put my hands in the air and sing this type of music, let alone put my hands in the air and sing this type of music and tears be running down my, my, my face because I'm in his presence. You know, and most of us, if not all of us in this room at some point or another have been singing, you know, a worship song and a tear begins to come. You know, and it's so important that we embrace that and press into it. As much as it makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to cry in front of people, that's a tear that we should have cried years ago. And that those tears are healing tears. You know, and all the tears that I've cried through the years, you know, that, you know, that, you know, it's Jesus is healing me since I was a little kid. You know, all the things that I should have cried over, you know, come out now in the presence of God and not all of them are sad tears. Not all of them are traumatic tears. There's a lot of tears of joy today that I'm so grateful for everything that Jesus has done for me and, and how far that I've come, you know, that we tell the stories, you know, and it's, it's like looking back at, at somebody different. It's like a completely different life, you know, and you know, it's really amazing to me. You know, of how far Jesus has brought me and how broken I once was and didn't really think that this was worth it. Didn't really think that this was going to work. But the more I aligned myself to God's way and the more I began to, to really believe that the Bible is the only way to heal my mind and I began to align myself with his teaching to the best of my ability, I began to see how things in my mind began to, you know, come into play and, and come into alignment and all of a sudden healing and the way that I would think would begin to change, you know, and there's still stuff that needs to change. You know, I don't have it all figured out and I'm not completely healed. I don't want, you know, to express myself in that manner, but I think that the more that we pursue him, you know, he takes us through another season of healing and we're like, Oh, didn't I deal with this already? And I'm like, Oh, do I got to do this again? You know, and, and but when we get on the other side of it, we're like, thank you, Jesus. You know, and, you know, I, I reflect back when I had about seven or eight years sober, you know, and I was really going through it. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I'm praying and I'm praying, God, show me what it is. What's the root? What's the root? And it just seems like everything around me is getting crazier and crazier. And I'm just like, I just want to run. You know, I don't want to deal with it. I want to get out of here. I don't like the pressure. And I'm praying and I'm praying and he keeps telling me to sit still and he keeps telling me to trust him. And, and that's really where the I trust you Jesus prayer came from is because everything inside of me wants to take a hike. You know, I want to run full steam ahead away from this, but I know that there's nowhere to go and I got to learn to trust him. And I'm, 
I'm crying and I'm trying to sit still and I'm so angry and everything inside of me, every emotion inside of me is just run. And he begins to uproot a deeper level of a father wound that I thought I already dealt with. You know, I could teach the stuff on it and I knew all the answers, but yet there was another layer, another root that needed to get uprooted. And as I got myself into his presence, he uprooted it. You know, and it was just like, all of a sudden I began to trust him more. You know, because, you know, I looked at my heavenly father through the lens of my biological father. And, you know, I, I, on some level, couldn't trust God because I I thought that he was going to break his promises. I thought that he was going to abandon me. I thought that he wasn't going to come through for me. You know, and, you know, those things had to get uprooted. But the only way to do that was to get into his presence and realize that he isn't going to abandon me, that he isn't going to leave me, that he tells the truth, that he brings forth his promises. You know, and it was so hard to trust him, you know, because I've been hurt by everybody. I've been abandoned. I've been rejected, you know, and it's so hard to trust God. It's so hard to trust people. But he keeps putting me in these situations where I have to learn to trust, and I hate it. You know, I don't want to trust anything, you know, but if I don't learn to trust him, I can't grow. I can't, you know, really apply his word because I'm always doubting it, you know. And I I think that as we put ourselves in his presence, that consuming fire begins to pull things out of us that don't come out in any other way. You know, that, you know, this prophecy in Isaiah and Zephaniah, you know, and, and Peter's, you know, calling on it, he says that, <clears throat> he says that the, you know, the sky will melt by fire, you know, and that heaven will pass away and, you know, and the elements and the stars will, will melt, you know, by fire, you know, and, you know, some say that it's a metaphor, you know, that, but some say that God's going to peel back the sky, you know, and in his fire, you know, you know, God will emerge, you know, in a God who sees all, this day of the Lord will result in a new earth, you know, in the in the works of the earth will be exposed. You know, the ultimate purpose of God's consuming fire is, is justice, that he exposes evil and he, he rights wrongs, he heals and heals the land and he deals with injustices and he removes all of these things. So this new heaven and new earth can emerge which is permeated with his righteousness. You know, it's full of God's people who love him and love people. You know, and we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. But, you know, until we learn to love God, we don't know how to love ourselves. You know, and if we don't know how to love ourselves, we we don't know how to love other people. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I always said that Moses got it wrong. It should be hit thy neighbor in the face with a shovel, not love them. You know, and... You know, I didn't want to love people. I didn't want to get close to them. You know, and I remember being being in the church, you know, and I'm like, Christians suck. You know, and I'm really having a hard time. And it's really the praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, brother. Good to see you. You know, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to punch you if you don't get away from me. Like, and I'm just trying to sneak into church. Like, leave me alone. Like, is there anything I can pray for? Like, you better pray for yourself because I'm about to stomp you. You know, and I really struggle with people trying to get in my bubble and give me Jesus. Like, I am going to drop you. Get away from me. You know, and I remember thinking, like, in the world, I could just switch bars 
You know, like if somebody in the bar was really bothering me this bad, I'd just go pick a different bar. But it's like, here I am, I'm stuck in church with Christians, and I'm like, I'm sure that if I went to another church, there'd be more Christians there. Like, this is gonna, this is really hard to deal with. Like, you people really are strange. You know, it's like, if you guys would just shut up and just let me come here and figure out Jesus, like, why do I have to come here with other people? Like, can't I just, like, you do this performance and let me just do it by myself, and then all the rest of you people can come. You know, and I would show up late. I would leave early. I would do everything I could to avoid people. And on some levels, I still have strategy, you know, because I can't deal with the hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother, you know, types of Christians. I'm like, oh, my God, like you still make my skin crawl. But in reality, I have to learn to love them. And Today, the excuse that I make is that I don't punch you, and that's my best case that I can love you. You know, and I don't say how much you suck, you know, and this is my ability to love you today because there was a time that I would really just tell you how much you suck. You know, I remember being a baby Christian and screaming at people, you know, and, you know, swearing at people because they wouldn't respect my boundaries and I didn't know how to set a healthy boundary and I would ask them to leave me alone and they wouldn't and I would scream, you know, and it was just like, oh, I hate you people. But I needed Jesus so much. I needed to, to figure out Jesus, that Jesus was the only thing that was giving me any sort of relief from the craziness that went on between my ears. You know, and the Bible was, as, as much as it, it, it made me struggle and as much as it convicted me, it, the more that I tried to apply it, I started to realize that my life was heading in this new direction, that things were getting better. You know, and in the beginning, it was just simply as like, I'm just trying to stay sober and, and, and try to not kill myself. You know, and lo and behold, this relationship with Jesus took hold. And he started to show me that there's this completely different way to live. You know, and most people don't annoy me as much as they used to, but some are pretty good at it, you know. And there's still people in the church today that every time they talk to me, I'm like, oh, my God, you're still the same way all these years. Like, haven't you changed? Doesn't Jesus talk to you about you? Like, And I'm like, so like no, that's still me. There's still parts of me that need more Jesus. And I'm like, Good to see you. I gotta go. You know, and I'm still healing. I still need more Jesus. You know, there's still areas inside of me that certain people make my skin crawl, and there's something about you. I don't know what it is, and I don't even want to figure it out. Just get away from me. You know, but I'm learning today that I can't make excuses for those things. I have to say, God, what is that? What is that in me? And I need you to take it. And the only way that he takes it is when I get myself in his presence. And he starts revealing these roots, these wounds that are still deep inside of me that need healing, that need his love, that need his grace, that need his truth. You know, and as you know, we, we get ourselves around him, we find hope in him where we've looked every other place to find it. And it's never worked. You know, and... You know, and Peter's coming to a close, you know, but, you know, he says that, you know, that, you know, some of his words have been intense, but he's passionate about his convictions, that God's love for the world, you know, and he's just, you know, Jesus is determined to rescue it, you know, and God's love must confront and deal with evil, injustice, immorality, greed, and sin, that it ruins his his beloved world, and it ruins his kids. 
And in God's own time, he deals with these things. But, and he opens up this new way for us to live. That there's a whole new future for each and every one of us as he begins to heal our lives, our family's lives, the people around our lives. You know, and I can't even express how much his grace has changed me. You know, and some of you have known me through the years and some of you have watched me grow. And some of you are, are brand new and you've only known this top. But, you know, there is a very broken and, and, and very depressed and very, you know, sinful man that did not have hope and thought about killing himself on a regular basis and and used a lot of drugs to, to try to cope with the craziness that went on between my ears. And Jesus is the only thing that's ever given me relief of the traumas that I've gone through in my life. And the pain that I I had to deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, he's uprooted those things. He's healed those things, you know, and I'm still, you know, in my process and I'm still healing and I'm still growing, but I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done in my life. And and I'm, you know, I'm grateful and thankful for, you know, watching many of you grow through the years, you know, and who you've become because of what Jesus is doing in your life. You know, that if it wasn't for Jesus, who knows where we would be. Would you just bow your head to me? Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray that we can come before you, Lord, that we spend time with you, that we get ourselves into your presence, Lord, that your all-consuming fire, your Holy Spirit comes and begins to uproot you know, these areas of pain, these areas of trauma, you know, these these areas in our mind that gravitate to anger and depression and hopelessness and anxiety, Lord, and various things, Lord, that you would bring some sort of, you know, hope in the midst of the storm, Lord, that we begin to arrest these thoughts and bring them back to you and we come before you and just ask for your your deliverance. Lord, that you, we'd ask you that you heal us. You ask us that we'd ask that you set us free. Lord, help us to repent of anything that we still struggle with, Lord, and not make excuses of it. And whether we got to repent of it every day or a couple times a day, Lord, that we don't we don't give up asking you to set us free of these areas that we we may still enjoy, but we know we're not supposed to do, Lord. And maybe there's areas that we just can't stop doing and we don't even enjoy it anymore. But, Lord, we ask that we would come before you time and time and time again until we finally surrender and we we watch how you can set us free in a way that we've never been able to free ourselves. We just thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.